0: Pursuant to government code section 54953 E and the state declared emergency, this meeting will be conducted through teleconference and zoom video conference, as well as in person participation. The COVID-19 state of emergency continues to impact the ability of council members to meet safely in person and presents risks to the health of attendees. Please be mindful that this meeting may be recorded as any public meeting may be recorded and all rules of procedure and decorum apply for persons participating by teleconference, video conference or in person. To access the meeting remotely using the internet, join from your device using the URL indicated on the agenda for this meeting. If you do not wish for your name to appear on the screen, use the drop-down menu and click on rename to rename yourself to be anonymous to request to speak use the raise hand icon on the screen. To join by phone, dial the number indicated on the agenda and enter the meeting ID. If you wish to comment during the public comment portion of the agenda, press star nine and wait to be recognized by the chair. In-person attendees are required to wear a mask that covers their nose and mouth for the duration of the meeting. If you are feeling sick, please do not attend in person.
1: Excellent. Thank you. And with that, I'd like to um, please have the roll call.
2: Council member Member Kesarwani, Here. Kaplan. Present. Bartlett. Present. Harrison. Council member Harrison is absent. Council member Han. Present. Wengraph present. Robinson present. Humbert present. And Mayor Aragin is absent. Our quorum is present.
1: Okay, perfect. Thank you. And um, with that, I'd like to call this meeting to order. And uh, I understand the city manager um, has a presentation regarding the public works.
3: Vice Mayor Bartlett. Oh, I'm sorry. I- No,
4: thank you. Thank you, um,
5: Vice Mayor Bartlett. Um, Our Public Works Director, Liam Garland, will be leading the presentation this evening, so I'll hand it off to him and the team. Thank you. Great. Thank you.
3: Thank you both. I am uh, Liam Garland, Public Works Director, and uh, really excited, believe it or not, to be here. Uh, You don't often get excited about uh, proposals to increase rates. Uh, That's usually not the most fun Uh, But in this instance, uh, those rates um, are important in terms of achieving this community and this council's ambitious zero-waste goals. Um, uh, I want to say at the outset that tonight, uh, staff is not seeking council action. Uh, This is a work session. We want to get input from the council uh, and then figure out what our next action might be. If the input is positive in terms of staff's uh, uh, suggestions, we'll be back on April 11th, asking Council for formal action to initiate Proposition 218 compliant proceedings to adjust our zero waste uh, rates. Uh, but again, this, uh, uh, this, the purpose of today's meeting is for input. We've got a slide um a slide deck to share. But before we do that, I want to take a minute uh, just to intru- introduce some of our zero waste leadership. These are folks, some of whom are behind the scenes. You might not interact with a bunch, um, but they uh, are working hard. They put a lot of work into this particular uh, five-year rate schedule. And you, uh, each of you have heard me talk about the impact of vacancies on our department. Uh, and this group even though as the staff report shares overall the zero waste divisions improved in terms of its vacancy rate there's some specific impacts on this uh this group of leaders that i wanted to share and so uh, many of you have worked with andrew uh, before and if you could give a quick wave uh you probably didn't know that andrew is covering two desks uh uh, over six months ago we lost an ada coordinator uh, and that meant andrew even though this wasn't part of the plan all of a sudden became the secretary of the disability commission and uh the coordinator uh, for the city Leticia uh who some of you have met before some haven't uh is our operations manager uh but that's not it Uh, uh since the departure of our former uh solid waste and recycling division manager uh Leticia is wearing two hats essentially uh doing two roles both the operations manager position and that solid waste uh, recycling uh, and recycling manager uh, position. Similarly, uh, Julia, Julia, if you could give a a quick wave, Julia has been with us for a little over six, maybe seven weeks uh, as our recycling program manager. And Julia has got about three field reps reporting uh, up through her. Um, However, Julia is a bit of the tip of the spear in terms of recycling and composting and the, uh, the goals of zero waste. And there's several more vacancies in those field rep positions. Uh, So those are positions that are currently unfilled. And then finally, uh, Keith, uh, if you could give a wave, uh, uh, Keith is an analyst in our zero waste division. So somebody really important in terms of nailing the financial modeling upon which uh, the proposed rates are based. And Keith is covering two desks. Uh, There's vacancies in our administrative and fiscal division inside of Public Works. Uh, that are really important to keep our functioning going. And Keith is covering that desk plus his zero waste desk. So I just wanted to give some context for some of the uh, leadership over at Zero Waste and some of the challenges they uh, and we are facing. And with that, uh, one more introduction, and that is to Rick Simon from HFNH, who's been a really valuable uh, supporter uh, uh, and uh, analyzer of our work. Uh, And Rick is gonna share about uh, a 25 minute a presentation on our five-year rate schedule, and then I'll come in at the end with some closing comments. Uh, Without further ado, Rick, to you. Rick, you're on mute.
6: How about now? Can you see, I have shared my screen. Can you just see the slide? Wonderful. Well, good afternoon. I'm Rick Simonson, Senior Vice President with HF&H Consultants. We've been assisting staff in the analysis of your current zero waste rates and developed a five-year plan. We have been assisting the city. This is not the first time it's been in front of the council. Back in December of 2021, our firm also pre- presented results then. So we're here with updated results to get your feedback. Let's see. So just a little bit of history. Uh, The most recent five-year rate study uh, developed into a resolution that the city council did adopt in May of 2014 to establish rates from fiscal year end 2015 through fiscal year end 2019. That five-year plan was followed up with just one rate increase since. So for July 1, 2019, so for fiscal year end 2020, Rates were increased 3.8% across the board to all rates. And as I mentioned, in December 2021, we did develop and present to the council a five-year cost of service rate study and proposed rates. At that time, council took no action. So during 2022, we worked with staff to revise the rate model, update the cost projections and where your revenues were coming in, and develop this new plan which also includes a phase-in option to help minimize some of the more uh, the larger increases that we're recommending. We have had two briefings with the Zero Waste Commission subcommittee that happened earlier this month. And again, today, as Liam mentioned, we're here as a work session session, just looking for input, answering your questions and getting feedback, asking for no specific action today to start the Prop 218 process that'll be forthcoming uh, later. So let's get started. First, just a little background. What is it the zero waste rates that are charged to residential and commercial customers? What are they paying for? First and foremost is the collection of three material streams, uh, solid waste, recyclable materials and organic materials. These are collected by city. Operators as well as specifically for the residential recyclable materials, those are collected by a contracted third party ecology. Those materials are directly hauled to the city's transfer station where the material is sorted and transferred to the ultimate final destination, be it a recycling facility or the landfill itself. At the transportation premises, recyclable materials are sorted and marketed for uh, revenues by, again, another contracted third party, Community Conservation Center. So there are revenues that come from the sale of these recyclable materials. In addition, the city has a clean city program and mattress and carpet recycling programs, as well as for your residents, you provide motor oil recycling. All of this is conducted through your your zero waste operations, as well as the outreach to the public and implementation of any city zero waste related ordinances. So just a bit of background on the rates themselves. For residential customers, they receive the three services. There is just one charge on the bill, and it is related to the size of solid waste container in which they subscribe. Currently, there are six different options, but I will point out the 13-gallon and 45-gallon option are legacy container sizes. They are no longer offered to new customers. I have also highlighted here in orange the 32-gallon and 64-gallon option. This accounts for nearly 80% of all your customers, so most of the customers subscribe to either the 32-gallon or 64-gallon rates for commercial customers are a little bit more complicated. Uh, they are charged uh, based on two different subscriptions, the solid waste container and the organics container. Uh, within the solid waste container rates, customers do receive recycling collection at one time per week. And the various rates you see on this table, based on the need of each individual customer. They range from smaller containers of 32-gallon carts up to larger bins, up to six cubic yards. And they can have this collected anywhere from one time a week up to seven times per week, and they pay accordingly. Inorganics are also offered to commercial on an as-needed basis, and they too differ based on the container that they do have and how often that is collected. So it's a bit more complicated of a rate schedule for commercial. Let's talk about the next five years and what has been included in this analysis. Uh, There are some additional costs you haven't recently previously incurred, and I've highlighted some of those here. And we'll we'll dive a little bit deeper as we progress through the slides. First, the pre-construction costs for a transfer station replacement. So this does not include any construction-related costs, but the, the time over the next five years preparing for the construction of a new transfer station. So it includes sequel costs, design and engineering. Over the next five years, projected to spend $6.8 million. That's not something you've incurred in the past. Collection container replacements will... Uh, continue. And over the next five years, those replacements will be $5.9 million over again the next five years. In addition, there are stormwater regulations uh, that need to be complied with at the transfer station. So over the next five years, over that term, $5 million, so on average a $1 million per year. In addition, there was recently an unfunded mandate by the state legislator for Senate Bill 1383, which requires organic materials to not be placed in the landfill. uh, That over the next five years is 2.4 million. In addition, the vehicle replacement and maintenance costs, which are done by the city's equipment maintenance division, incremental costs over what have currently been incurred over the next five years are 14.8 million. And this is due to a change in how those costs are being allocated to the specific departments. They have not been fully funded over the previous years. So this is a change in how those costs are being allocated to the zero waste division. In addition, the council did approve a single use foodware and plastic uh, bags and ordinance and the implementation implementation of bringing that to uh the citizens over the next five years is a million dollars. Road maintenance is a considerable issue within the city as these heavy collection vehicles operating on these residential roads, which have not been built to a standard to withstand such heavy loads. We have included 7 million over the next five years to help repair those roads due to these heavy collection vehicles. And lastly, uh, We're proposing adding zero waste customers to the city's very low income refund program, which would increase the cost necessary to fund that program. So let's dive just a little bit deeper, give you some visualization of all those costs I've talked about, uh, which you'll see towards the bottom of this uh, table. In addition, you have your normal operations and maintenance, which is the bulk of your expenses shown in the blue with a stacked bar chart. And what this chart is representing are the costs that Zero Waste Fund will incur over the next five years based on the projections. They're increasing from this current fiscal year end, 2023 of about 50.5 million, increasing to nearly 67 million by the end of this next five year period. And it's easy to see that we will need some sort of revenue increase in order to make the fund whole, as demonstrated by the revenue at current rates, dashed black line. Those are the revenues you anticipate on receiving at the current rates. So we know some sort of rate increase is necessary as expenses are exceeding that dotted black line. What do those look like? We presented here, uh it's a it's a busy table, so let me just start with. The increases we're showing there on the top left each January 1 over the next five years, we know we need to increase revenues. We're increasing them at the percentages shown there in our proposal 12% overall revenue increase this first July 1st, followed by 9, 9, 7, and 4% increases. I'll note that for July 1, 2023, as we looked at the cost of service on a per customer basis and realigning. The actual rates at each service level with their true costs of service, some rates will increase greater than that percentage and some less than that percentage. From there, there'll be uniform percent increases as shown in the table. I'll turn your attention to the graph at the bottom. This helps us understand exactly what those percentages should be over time. So let me explain a little of what this chart is doing. Uh, we have two blue lines there. The dotted blue line is a projected fund balance if rates are kept constant over the next five years, so no rate increase. You can see the zero-waste division's fund balance will quickly go negative before fiscal year-end 2025. You have started the year with a healthy fund balance in anticipation of these costs coming along and funding the transfer station, and we can make use of some of those revenues now. And that is what led to the percentage increases in the top left. The solid blue line tracks those projected fund balances at each year end based on increasing revenues by those percentages. So we have a nice healthy reserve by the end of the five-year period. Also, included a couple kind of target balance lines there in the red. The dotted red line is a 30 day operating reserve. We would not like to see you dip below that. And what our target in the solid red line is a 60 day of operating expenses. And why it's prudent to keep your reserves in a healthy standing. Above that 60 days of operations, you have day-to-day costs that you need to pay, though your billing is less frequent. Commercial is billed monthly, some quarterly, and residential is billed annually. So the tax roll revenue comes in basically two spurts uh, from April and then also December. So keeping a healthy balance in order to pay those day-to-day bills is the rationale behind the target. Of 60 days of operating expenses and with an eye towards the future of replacing the transfer station moving forward. <clears throat> so we know some sort of rate increases is necessary. You do go through an extensive cost allocation uh, methodology to understand which customer classes rates, how they compare to future costs. So we've Shown here in this table, your current revenue at current rates by customer class, residential and commercial, and how they compare to projected rates for this forthcoming fiscal year. And we notice uh, that residential is quite far behind with their revenues compared to the cost of service. Commercial is just about right at their cost of service, so a minimal increase will be necessary on commercial. Let's dig a little deeper into the residential rates, because as I mentioned, not all rates will be changing at the same amount based on the cost of service. What we've noticed, and we've seen this in many jurisdictions through California, versus uh, in the past there's been incentivized type pricing to really incentivize customers to subscribe to a smaller and smaller solid waste container. So you see your current Monthly rates uh, there in the first column, quite low for the 13 gallon and ever increasing as the size of container increases. The cost of service to collect those containers, process the material and dispose of that material is actually far greater, especially for those smaller solid waste containers. The manpower, the trucks, the fuel to drive by a house does not differ by much, but there is some differential, as you see there ranging from $51 for a 13 gallon container up to $66 for a 45 gallon container. So we know some significant increases are necessary. However, understanding that those are some large increases Uh, We have developed a plan to minimize the rate shock of these smaller containers. So part of the analysis was to minimize the increases uh, over the five years. And so part of the analysis was to say no rate will increase greater than $6 per month each year. And if there are rates that are already covering their cost of service, for example, the 64 and 96 gallon containers, they will remain flat until the cost of service exceeds that rate. In order to do this, setting rates lower than the cost of service, we'll need to utilize some of those fund balances to allow this phase in approach. And I'll note the 20 and 32 gallon rates Uh, while we have the six dollar increases each of the next five years they will be closer but not quite reach that full cost of service and with the prop 218 process you can only adopt five years worth of rates at any given time so they'll continue to be reviewed in the next five-year cycle we're always asked well how do we compare to our neighbors so we provided this chart here on some of uh, your neighboring communities uh, from left to right, they are sorted from the lowest in Embryville currently uh, for their 30 to 35 gallon container is $22.97. And on the far right, the most expensive is in Piedmont at $96.55. You'll see I've highlighted in blue, light blue for your current rate for the 30. 2 gallon container and the dark blue is with the six dollar increase and for some context included the average excluding berkeley's rate so with the proposed six dollar increase in the forthcoming fiscal year be slightly below the average of the other communities it's a slightly different picture when we look at the 64 gallon uh, you're still about middle of the road with the lowest in Emeryville and the highest in Piedmont. you see they're getting closer together. We are recommending you hold the 64-gallon cart flat or fixed at its current rate as it currently covers its cost of service. We're not looking to increase that rate. So what does that mean when I mentioned we'll need to utilize some of the fund balance to pay for this phase-in approach? So I've added a, another dotted blue line with the squares there just below the solid blue line. By utilizing some of those funds to smoothen this rate increase, the fund balance is projected to be a bit lower, uh, but it is still above that 30-day of operating expense target that We would like to see in the fund balance to pay your day-to-day bills as revenues come in sporadically. Oops. On to the commercial rates. I mentioned earlier, uh, through the cost of service methodology of allocating costs to each of the customer classes, we found commercial rates were near their cost of service for fiscal year 2024. So the recommended increase for the forthcoming year is a 0.4% increase in rates for commercial. We've highlighted a few of the more common subscription levels uh, for commercial here. It does uh, capture about 62% of your customers, these six different service levels. And you'll see the dollar increases on a monthly basis there on the far right, because it's just a 0.4% increase to commercial. Much less than what we're experiencing on the, the residential side. If we extend that out for the five year period, applying those subsequent increases for fiscal years 2025 through 2028, as shown here on this slide, the uniform percent increases of 9, 9, 7, and 4%. And for a little context provided in the far right, the comparison of the rate from five years from now to current, you'll see uh, they increase depending on the level of service subscribed to, and also show the average increase over that time period on an annual basis. Again, what we're showing here reflects about 62% of your commercial multifamily customers. I just wanna reiterate that these solid waste rates do include the recycling uh, collection, at these commercial and multifamily customer sites. And with that, that's just a bit of a background on what's led us to these proposed rates. I'll turn it over to Liam to go into a little more detail of some options.
3: Thank you, Rick. Um, And to Council, the slides themselves represent a lot of the content from the staff report. They've also, there is some new content in there we've posted the slides online Uh, Where this agenda item is posted. One of the questions we've asked ourselves, and uh, the Zero Waste Subcommittee, Zero Waste Commission Subcommittee, has asked us as well, is: Are there ways to reduce the rate increases and/or their impacts? And these first two bullets are staff's recommendation on how best to do that. And the first is to um, to move forward with option three, where we can take that phased-in approach. Uh, to try to smooth out uh, those um, uh, increases, especially on those subscribers uh, at the lower uh, gallon container subscription. So that uh, is our number one recommendation. The number two recommendation is around um, uh, uh, enrolling zero waste customers in the city's very low income refund program. Uh, This makes uh, uh, sense given the council's focus on equity Uh, It also, for um, low-income customers especially, is going to help reduce the impact of these increases as well. Because of Proposition 218, we actually can't use rate revenue, in other words, zero-waste rate revenue, to pay for the discounts. So we'd have to uh, use general funds or other funding of around $100,000 in order to have zero-waste customers be eligible to enroll in the city's very low income uh, refund program the next three bullets these aren't staff's recommendation uh, uh, but if council really wants to reduce the rate impacts these are potential things to look at Uh, one is uh, that paving impact cost uh, that is about $7 million over the course of five years. Uh, it is, uh, it has a nexus to the impact of these vehicles, uh, on our streets. Uh, but obviously removal of this item, uh, would lower, uh, the, uh, the needed rate increases. Um, uh, the losers on that would obviously be our streets, uh, as they, uh, they would not have that, uh, supplemental funding source for that annual, p- uh, paving project. We also could look at either eliminating or finding other funds or just trying to reduce this almost $6.7 million for the pre-construction costs for the transfer station replacement. Um, Again, we don't think this is a good idea that transfer station replacement is long overdue. It's also important from the perspective of achieving uh, our zero waste goals uh, that uh, transfer station is gonna have to operate a lot more efficiently uh, and in the new world uh, or the changing world of zero waste into the future, and so that's an important project. On the other hand, if we really need to reduce the rates and/or rate impacts, this is a place to look. Uh, similarly, there's some regulatory compliance both with SB 1383 and with the transfer station stormwater system. Uh, uh, those are items that, if we could find other funding sources for. Uh, Obviously, that would reduce, that means we could pull them out of the these costs out of the rate uh, rate schedule and reduce uh, the rate impacts or the rate increases. Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, what's next. Uh, Rick, I'm going to ask you to be perfect. Um, uh, After this meeting, uh, we'll uh, reconvene for a zero waste commissions uh, uh, meeting. We'll provide a short update to the zero waste commission uh, about the results of this meeting. There's, in about a month from now, we'll have a, a similar check-in with the Zero Waste Commission. And then, depending on uh, the input we get today, we'll be back in front of Council on April 11th to hold a hearing to initiate Proposition uh, to a, a, a Team-compliant uh, process. And just a, a couple caveats here is uh, we're still doing due diligence uh, on the rate modeling, so there might be some changes between what you've seen here in the presentation Um, And in that potential April 11 staff report where there's significant changes, we'll identify it in that report for sure. There's also a whole range of uh, what I call a la carte charges. Uh, So for example, there's a distance charge where if our collection workers are going far into a property to service uh, uh, a bin, uh, there's a certain charge uh, called a, a distance charge for that service. There's also the prepaid compost bags that I'm sure a lot of us have used Um, and those a la carte charges would be included within um, uh, the noticing required by proposition 218. so we haven't covered them here but we would bring uh uh, if we're back on april 11th they would be uh included if council on april 11th approved moving forward with that uh the proposition 218 process uh we mail notices out shortly after so no later than the end of that month Those notices would describe to residents um, uh, the way to file a written uh, protest. Um, Those protests would come in. We'd come back together uh, at a council meeting on June 13th. The clerk would uh, uh, let us know, based on those written protests, uh, whether a majority protest exists. And so that's 50% plus one. Um, uh, And then. Um, if there was no majority protest, uh, then council could approve the rates. They would be effective on July 1st. Um, those would be, uh, again, because of proposition 218, those would be maximum rates. Uh, what that means is, uh, council and staff can charge up to those rates. If, um, uh, if our revenues come in higher or expenses come in lower, we can always lower the rates without having to go through the proposition 218 process. Uh, so that's something we could do through the course of the five years. Um, and it's uh, uh, we're working on this internally, but the actual process of taking the approved rates and getting to the point of incorporating them into all of our billing sounds easy, is not. Uh, and so that's something that even if we get an approval uh, on July 1st, it might take us some time to actually implement that. So I just wanted uh, to identify Uh, that uh, here. We'll have more information on that and the likelihood of there being a delay or not in our April 11th report as well. So, uh, Rick, I'll ask you to advance to the next slide. This is our Q&A slide, although I've taken some liberties here, uh, which is uh, I've gotten uh, uh, several questions, both uh, in this iteration of the zero waste rates discussion and in prior conversations with Council and with the community, and so I just wanted to hit some of the most common questions that come up. Uh, One is this continuing tension between Prop 218 and its constraints on setting rates in a way that incentivize or disincentivize uh, certain recycling and composting behavior. It's a continual source of frustration. If we had a creative solution to it, I promise we'd offer it, Um, and the best we can come up with now is some legislative advocacy. Uh, ASKING THE STATE LEGISLATOR TO GIVE CITIES LIKE Ber- Berkeley MORE FLEXIBILITY TO BUILD THOSE INCENTIVES INTO THE RATE STRUCTURE. NOW LET ME JUST ACKNOWLEDGE PROP 218, IT'S A VOTER and APPROVED INITIATIVE, SO SOME OF THE HARDEST uh, um, uh, FOR LEGISLATURES TO WORK AROUND, uh, BUT I JUST WANT TO IDENTIFY THAT THAT'S A POTENTIAL, uh, IT'S SOMETHING TO DO ABOUT THIS, uh, uh, THE TENSION BETWEEN PROP 218 AND THESE uh, INCENTIVES AND DISINCENTIVES. WE ALSO get QUESTIONS ON BACKYARD SERVICE. Uh, so this is a service where you'll have our collection workers actually go into the backyards of um, uh, our customers and and service uh, the bins or containers. This is a service that uh, for our elderly residents or our residents who are disabled, uh, once verification is provided to our three one one service, this is uh, something we provide uh, at no cost. So. Um, um, uh, there's no charge for it for other customers. There is a charge. And so this five-year rate schedules, uh, assumes we would continue, uh, with that, that same service. There's often questions about SB 1383. It's a pretty hot topic in our, uh, uh in our waste and recycling world. And the, uh, biggest expense here is the state's requirement that cities procure a certain tonnage of, uh, mulch and compost. Uh, In uh, this city's instance, uh, that number is over 9,000 tons of compost or mulch. It's a big number, and that means we have to uh, uh, pay for that and then figure out how it's going to be used. Obviously, we're working with stop waste. Uh, It's not just us who's in this, um, uh, we don't want to call it a bind because it's a a good thing to be occurring, but it's, it's a tough one. Um, uh, And what what this rate schedule does is it builds in the costs as they've been estimated by uh, stop waste. Um, We also have gotten uh, the question about parks expenses for servicing litter cans. And this is something we're doing some more due diligence on. The question is whether we could build into the residential rates some revenue to cover uh the servicing of litter cans in our parks we know that uh, our parks recreation and waterfront budget is a tight one uh, and this would be a way of of helping uh, the parks department uh, provide this service without the budget impacts um, staff's initial look at this is we've got proposition 218 um, concerns we want to take a closer look to see if this is a, a possibility um uh, our current practice is to charge all departments for their use of uh waste and recycling services um and so on this one we've got a little bit more due diligence to do um uh and if we think there's a route to accomplish this uh that's something again we can report back on at that April 11th um uh council item just uh two more items I promise uh, and then I'll wind down uh is the transfer station replacement uh, replacement you might remember approving uh, a feasibility study back in 2019 we're now deep into the environmental review of this project uh and we think the environmental review phase should be completed next calendar year um and then it'll take a couple years to design um, and we might be out to construction by like spring of 2027. So that's pretty deep into the five-year uh, rate period. Uh, and as we all know, construction timelines sometimes lag. Um, so uh, so that's probably the earliest we could be out for construction. Just as a reminder, that construction, this, I wouldn't call this an estimate, more of a guesstimate, that construction might be in excess of 60 to $70 million. So it's a very big project. What this rate schedule covers is the pre-construction costs. Uh, We would still have to uh, find those construction dollars. They could come from fund balance in the zero waste fund if it's available. Um, It could uh, 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 be from grant funding uh, and or it could come from bonding against future rate increases, potentially in that next um, five-year rate study and uh, uh, suggestion for rate increases. Finally, uh, we get questions uh, about the fire fuel surcharge and the chipper program. This is an interesting one. Uh, I want to thank Council Member Weingraff for uh, digging up some of the history uh, on this. Uh, this program started after the 1991 fire, where essentially Hills residents are charged a surcharge. And through that, uh, it, it can fund a variety of fire mitigation activities. Um, uh, now, what it is funding is the chipper program, and this is a service by which uh, residents can retrieve vegetation that uh, uh, would be considered fire fuel, provide it, um, uh, get it into the right-of-way, parks, recreation, and waterfront staff will, uh, and or their contractors, will actually chip the veg- uh, vegetation, and then zero waste provides debris bins where the, uh, uh, their green waste is put and retrieved um those um it this program recovers about 100 to 120 tons annually uh of vegetation so that's a, a fair amount um it's also running a deficit it raises about 130,000 per year we're spending we think on the order of about 200,000 per year uh, and so the question is whether to adjust uh, those that fire fuel surcharge again we've got some due diligence to do on this one in terms of the mechanics of whether it can be uh the rates can be adjusted in the context of this proposition 218 process or separately from that but i just wanted to flag that issue uh for council um thank you for bearing with me especially through those uh those uh liam generated questions uh and now uh i turn it back to the vice mayor just with one uh, uh final request which is especially on options one, the take no action on the uh, adjustment of rates, um, option two, which is essentially to jump to the cost of service right away, which those are the steepest rate increases, or option three, which is that phased in approach. It's something that staff is anxious to hear because it very much will affect our next action on whether and how to return on April one, uh, I'm sorry, April eleven. thank you very much
1: okay thank you so much director garland <clears throat> wonderful presentation uh do, do you mind going back two slides so we can see the options while we talk here this one thank you um and you know i'm gonna uh give it to the, my colleagues here to get some comments or some questions then we'll go to the public and then come back with our own comments and it's more specific direction i think uh, and i for one just want to um thank you and i cut my teeth on this uh this commission all those years ago more than a decade ago 12 years ago um this is my first commission and i was there when we uh brought in the 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 robot arm to pick up the cans we did the plastic bag ban we uh we uh we took over all the commercial accounts um for better service and, and better opportunities for our workers here uh and it was really wonderful so uh, I'm interested to see what my colleagues are thinking and what what we're what's coming up. Uh, question: I want to ask you uh, regarding the stormwater compliance. I I seem to recall there was funding for that at some point
3: a couple of years ago. Was there? Yeah, no, Vice Mayor, you uh, good memory. Uh, what uh, Berkeley, what City Council proposed and Berkeley voters approved uh, was an increase in our stormwater fees. Um, and so those fees do go into helping support the stormwater system across the city. What's a little bit different is um, those fees, um, uh, they can't be used for stormwater implementation on city property, meaning not right away, but on, on an actual facility property. So in this case, the stormwater improvements are right on the transfer station. And because those improvements are not in the right of way, instead they're on um uh the transportation property that's why uh these um it's zero waste rate revenue that's uh that's needed in order to fund the improvements
1: I see and uh, another question is um back, back in the day when I was there uh China was a healthy consumer of our waste um and I, at some point they stopped buying it right so has has the market for our refuse uh picked up in any way and is I'm that- gonna
3: uh, hand that one off to. Oh, I'm going to hand that one off to Rick.
6: Yeah, the great memory. Yes, in around 2018, China stopped buying a lot of the recyclable materials. Uh, so we saw a dip for about two years. And coincidentally, right about COVID time, things started to pick back up. And they've peaked and started coming back down in 2022. So we see the cyclical um, value of materials when you find new markets. They're excited about prices go up, then they start to wane. So it is kind of cyclical. We've estimated on a more conservative basis moving forward that this dip will rebound again, but not to the heights that it was. So kind of middle of the road, and we've included that in the next five year projections.
1: Okay, thank you. And and uh, I guess the last question is um, the um, uh, regarding the organics I can read really my handwriting here um yeah, I guess that was it whether the market has rebounded or not okay <clears throat> with that uh go to my my colleagues here um now how do you know who's who's up in the queue first I am no, you are okay <laughs> councilor Wingraf please
7: thank you vice mayor <laughs> thank you um well, thank you. Um, thank you very much for the presentation. Um I it's it's evocative of previous presentations that we've had. Um I think we had an almost identical presentation in maybe 2021.
8: Yeah.
7: Um, oh, yes. and, um and I guess we never acted on it because of COVID. So it it's clear to me that um we haven't raised rates now in a, in a very long time, and it's clear to me that we have to raise the rates. I think the issue is, how do we get there? And um, with that in mind, um, I'd like to ask you about the the chart that, that compares cities. We pay for so much out of our zero waste fees. I'm not sure that that chart is comparing apples to apples because our fee covers so much more than just the pickup of those three cans. So do we know when we compare cities, compare ourselves to other cities, whether what we're comparing it to, for example, Emeryville may only charge for cart pickup. They're not putting in that the clean cities fee The street sweeping, the hand sweeping, the you know all of the other programs that that we are paying for. Do you you have any sense of that, Mm -hmm. Mr. Simonson?
6: Yeah, that's a great point. So what you're seeing is just the absolute dollars based on the size that the residents are going to compare themselves against, with not understanding what's behind the numbers, and that is a fair question. And stop uh, waste has done a good job of kind of fleshing this out. on a a matrix, a bullet point list of what's included in some communities and not in others. So there is a more exhaustive kind of look at this. It doesn't quantify necessarily what, you know, each of these additional components that uh, are built into the Berkeley rates as compared to other communities, but it gives you a sense of what else are our fees paying for that others aren't such as street sweeping. It doesn't quantify it, but it helps you compare you're never going to get truly apples to apples, but if if you can get a little bit closer, that more expanded matrix provides a little more information. We can provide that detail at the next next meeting if it's helpful.
7: I wonder if it's possible to parse out that co- the actual cost of just the cart pickup uh, as just as an exercise, so that we as a council can understand. How much we're paying for cart pickup and recycling, and how much is going to the other programs that we provide?
3: Councilman Weingraff, I think I think that is possible. And let me just say it back in a slightly different way, which is for the costs that are attributable for everything from the cost of the collection. To the processing, disposal, yeah. recycling of the materials that uh, to yeah. try to break out that
7: A to Z on um, in that area. Yeah. Is, okay. I would be interested in seeing that. I don't, I don't, you know, I think it'd be helpful because there's so much emphasis on what people in Berkeley pay versus what people in other cities are paying. And I want to make sure that um, so often, you know, we've been this, through this before people say, well, we pay so many, so much more in taxes in Berkeley, but in Berkeley, we have our own health department. We have our own library department. You know, we have, we provide all of these services that other cities don't provide. So that's why I'm interested in that. With regard to the phasing, most people pay their uh, zero waste fee on their tax bill. Um, They're not, some people have billed separately, but most people pay it on their tax bill. So the phasing, in my, to my mind, doesn't really work because you pay that fee every six months when you pay your taxes. So the six month per month increase becomes a six month increase. Right. And you're only phasing it in, in two. Am I making sense? I see sort of people looking at me blankly, but mm-hmm. so I'm not. The, the phasing is it, it, it. Maybe it looks good on on paper conceptually, but that's not actually the way people pay their bills.
6: That is accurate, and what the phasing is demonstrating on showing it as a per monthly basis. a Couple reasons so you can compare to other communities because they bill on a monthly basis where their rates are uh, published as monthly. But also, if we did not phase that in, and for instance, I think there was about a $50 increase to the small containers, that would be on a per-month basis. So we're we're doing this to show the comparison on a monthly basis, though they're billed annually.
7: Okay. Thank you for that. Um, And then the last and perhaps the most important question I have is how how is this helping us to reach our zero waste goals um i noticed that the two largest cans the cost of the two largest cans is remaining flat that is incentivizing people to use the largest cans that's not what we want what we want is for people to use the smallest cans and in some ways this is upside down so And we've eliminated the very smallest can, which I have to tell you, has irritated an awful lot of my constituents who are devout recyclers. And the fact that they can't get that tiny little can anymore and they're forced to get the bigger can is an insult to what they I want to say it's their religion. It's an insult to their religion. So can we restore the smallest can? Can we in our rate schedule look at incentivizing zero waste and going to this 32 gallon can, which I know is the most popular, uh, but blowing up the cost of that can in order to get to where we want to go, I'm not I'm not sure that that is philosophically in keeping with our zero waste goals.
3: Councilmember, uh, you're you're hitting right on the tension we're all feeling around Proposition 218 and its constraints, especially in regards to the ambitious goals our city has in terms of zero waste and providing the right incentives to get there. Uh we 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 have not found the creative solution to this problem. Uh that legislative advocacy uh could um, be the ultimate solution. There is another way, which is um there's nothing stopping the city from using other funds to provide those incentives. Um, So it would mean rebates that are coming through the general fund or another fund, not the zero waste fund, that would be proposition 218 compliant, too. But again, that's a tough question about where those resources come from. Okay.
7: Well, that's those are my comments for now. Thank you very much for listening.
1: Thank you. Uh, Councilor Hahn, please.
5: Well, thank you very much. And uh, I think I'm going to start by just piggybacking off of what Councilmember Wengraf was just talking about. I think I have a hack for this incentive problem. Get rid of the big cans. Let's just eliminate them. Just eliminate them. It looks like many people have already jumped down to the smaller cans. You've got you know, what was it? I think a thousand. I don't I don't have that page in front of me. A thousand people left who have these big cans. We send those people a letter and we say, We're gonna take your big can away in three months. Here's your choice. XYZ, you can get also having only the is it the 32 gallons, having that be our largest can is a huge incentive. For property owners to push who own multifamily properties to push for recycling and sorting. And that's a huge problem we have because we know that sorting and um, even provision of composting bins, um, proper maintenance of recycling bins, and accessibility of recycling bins. In multifamily units, not all, not an indictment of all, but we know that that's more prevalent. The sorting is actually better for single-family homes, um, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, it seems to me that the best way to handle this is to get rid of the big can and move the whole scale downward. Just get rid of them. Uh, and boom, your incentive is back. Because if you have too much stuff going into the black can, the the uh, landfill can, you got to pay for another can. So that's my suggestion. Um, cold turkey, let's get rid of the big can. We get our incentive back. You might have to recalculate these speeds. Um, but... I would like to suggest that. And I strongly support uh, Councilmember Wengroff's idea of um, you know, bringing back smaller cans. Just move it all down. OK, I wasn't going to start with that. So I'm going to go to what I was going to start with. I was going to start by thanking you, Liam, in particular, for the work on this, um, by thanking all the staff who are present, and also thanking the staff who are not present. I, I also wanted to welcome Julia Heath. i um, really excited to um, have you join the city and I look forward to meeting you and hopefully working with you. And also to thank Rick Simon for the work that he did for the city. I do have a number of questions, quite a few. I won't do them all, but I just was forewarning you because I think either short answers or telling me, you know, let's sit down and have another conversation another time um, because I'd like to actually get the questions out because they all kind of go to, I think, uh, some of these issues that we're grappling with. Um, one question I have is, has the reduction in size of carts that people are using also been accompanied by a reduction in tonnage? Or are people just trading airspace? in a big can for a full, smaller can, how much of an impact has the smaller can had, not on how many big cans we have out there, but how much is going to the landfill? I don't know who's the right person, so
3: I'll let you, Liam. <laughs> I'll let you stand out who, who answers things. I'm not sure. Uh, Council Member Hong, could you, could you ask ask the, or at least the last part of the question, could you restate that? Sure. So let's say I have a huge can, but
5: I only have it a quarter full. And then I get a, a can that's a quarter that size, and I fill it. I didn't reduce the amount of weight that you're picking up. I just took 75% air out of a can. So my question is, as we've seen people go to the (laughs) small cans. did we actually see a reduction in the amount of waste going to the landfill?
3: That's a good question. Um, Let me take a crack, and then I'm going to ask Leticia and Julia or or Rick, uh, for that matter, to jump in to either correct or amend uh, what I share, which is we know that. the tonnages that go to landfill, um we know that they're for the most part trending in the right direction. I think your question's asking more specifically whether the the migration to smaller containers contributes to that or not.
5: And yes. I- in other words, we incentivize people. I will tell you that I had a large can that I inherited when I moved into this house. Um, and It was half empty for so long, and it was on my very, very long to-do list to get a smaller can, Um, and I finally did like six months ago, right? Like I've been living here 15 years, so I've been overpaying for a long time in terms of how much space I needed, but I, I don't think getting the smaller can got me to reduce what I put in it. I've been reducing for other reasons. But I'm just saying, how much did we get from this incentive? I think we may be overvaluing what we were actually getting here. What did we measure?
3: I'll ask Leticia, Julia, and Rick, do you know of any research or any waste characterization studies that might inform the question that Councilmember Hans asking?
9: Hello. Um, so we don't have current studies or data to be able to answer that uh question accurately however with the work we're going we're going to be doing in the next 18 months or two years uh, with our integrated uh waste management plan we have some characterization studies built in and also a burn rate and in order to get a true um, account for um participation in terms of if, if the can is half full or three quarters full we would have to conduct a full study of participation you know of um you know of of, of, a, of a x number of customers per route and we don't have that data now but it's something that we can possibly incorporate in the future with our integrated waste management plan
5: okay well that's great to know thank you perspectively. but uh-huh. i guess what i'm saying is i don't know if what we got was a reduction in waste or if we just got people getting smaller cans, the two are not necessarily the same. Um yeah, please, please. I
9: will add that from work that I've done in other jurisdictions, it typically when you when a a customer, a resident subscribes to the smaller can, they are contributing to reduction in landfill waste. So there's studies that show that there is a, a connection. In certain communities. In Berkeley is it, the contamination rate in Berkeley is lower. In communities where the contamination rate is higher, um, you know, it's questionable. Are you hmm. reducing your uh, recycle your garbage can, but are you placing um items that don't belong in the gar- you know, in the recycling bin in the recycling can? however in a city like berkeley and i don't have the data we don't have the studies but in a in a in a city like berkeley where the contamination historically has been lower i i wanted i want to believe that it it does reduce the amount of landfill waste going
5: to the landfill interesting mm-hmm. good point thank you all right well that's just a question i have that maybe we can look at and think about more but it also makes me a little less concerned about losing the incentive because I'm not sure how much of the change we saw was actually a reduction in ways. So I'm quite interested in other ways of getting people to continue to sort, because um, what what Leticia Draghi is saying is that people in Berkeley separate more meticulously than in other jurisdictions, and so um, if, if people are already separating, then in order to reduce what's in their landfill can, they actually have to change their life habits. They have to buy things with less packaging. They have to um, have less throwaway plastics, etc. And so I really think we need to look at this in a very careful way to understand what would be the incentives that would get people to actually reduce what's going to landfill. Um, I just move on to one or two other little things. Um, Well, I guess actually, this has kind of wandered into most of the sort of points and questions that I had. Oh, another question I have is, did we, this study, was this just a study of like, assuming we have the same theme? we still have different, you know, pan sizes, et cetera, um, what would the rates be? Or was there any um, direction here to, like, think about alternatives, like getting rid of pan sizes? Or, for example, going to an every other week pickup for um, certain types of pans? Or was this study, like, really just, like, you know, take our scheme, redo, recalculate, the
3: fees? Let me weigh in on on that one. It's an important question. Um, uh, The study um, does look at the future and assumes we're doing some things differently. So, for example, those SB 1383 costs, that's a big change. Um, It also assumes that I think it's up to seven field representative positions are funded through the course of the five-year study. That's a big increase in terms of that uh, important outreach and education component. Um, so that's all to say there are some things prospectively um, uh, that are addressed through this work. But the meat of your question is more for the strategic plan that's being developed um, uh, or has been kicked off uh, by a consulting team and with the zero waste commission, and which will come back to council probably in the next. 12 to 24 months, uh, where that plan is going to get to what are the programs that get us to zero waste? What exactly does zero waste mean? And what's the cost to those programs? Um, so that that is where you'll see more um, uh, of the detail that I think you're looking for.
5: How many trucks does the city run? Do we run one for garbage, one for, we do, we run one for uh One for landfill, one for compost, and then Ecology Center comes in with a third, right? Right. So we could separate our um, landfill pickup from our compost and recycling. We could pick up recycling every week and compost, but landfill every other week, right? That's humanly
3: possible. Humanly possible? logistically challenging and yes something that that strategic plan could take a hard look at and especially learn from what other communities have, have gone that path what they've learned uh and see if it could apply uh successfully here in uh in berkeley
5: okay great well i will say that for this phase you know i i i hope we will very quickly look at some of those other options and maybe not even wait for the whole plan to be done um but um, I think we should look at reducing the options for cam sizes now. I'd be interested in seeing uh, whether that is a viable option to just put forward at this time. Thank you.
10: Thank you, colleagues, I am here. Um, thank you, Vice Mayor Bartlett for sharing in my absence. I will um, step in to uh, facilitate the rest of the meeting. Um, our next... Uh, member the queue is Councilmember Wingraf followed by Councilmember Harrison and if I could be made a co-host please
8: hey, Councilmember Wingraf already spoke before you got back
10: uh, I'm going on the order of the race hands in the queue so yes. who has not, who has not spoken
1: so next is member Harrison okay
8: thank you thank you very much um and thank you Mr Garland for this report I want to start with a, a question that was just raised by the questions that um Councilmember Hahn had and that is uh, The consultant mentioned that we cannot do um, more than five years in a 218. Can we do less? Right now, we're about to jump into the strategic plan, and it seems odd to me that we're going to be answering how we might change the way we deliver services, what we do, and yet we're going to be locked into a five-year rate. Uh, Is there some way that we can do less than five years? Uh, Go
6: ahead,
3: Liam. The short answer is yes. We also, um, Council could approve five years and then if needs to be changed, you could come back two, three years later and update it as well. So you essentially run through the Prop 218 process again.
8: Okay. So, okay, that's very helpful. So basically, if we were to go with eliminating the bigger cans, some of the, what I'm just going to call cross subsidization that's happening for the bigger cans would be lost and the rates would have to go up even more for the people with the smaller cans. Is that right?
6: That is correct.
8: Yeah. Okay. So I'm a little, I'm a little worried about that, even though I agree it incentivizes uh, throwing away fewer things. Um, I had a lot of finance questions. One, I think you heard me ask this the budget committee we show on this chart, which is very helpful, the projected VE fund balance, we mix capital and operating. And as I've mentioned before, I'd like to see those separated out. When you look at the uh, 23 projected balance, it shows $25 million, but the list of things that you, Gave us the containers, the stormwater needs, SB 1383, getting ready for the transfer station, add up to $43 million. So I don't want the public to walk away from this chart saying we have a huge fund balance. Why are you charging me more? We actually don't have a huge fund balance in the operating budget. So to me, it's very important to separate those. Um, I realize you have to accumulate those costs to charge people, but I still want to see them separately when you come back. Um also um I think basically we um, are looking at the um, question of how to um, create the 218 compliant process. And in doing that, the differential between the rates is the amount of material dumped, right? All the other costs are kind of the same. There's the same driver, the same truck, the same distance. So where you go from $51 to whatever it was for a 64-gallon can, that difference is the material cost. Is that right?
6: So you have correctly characterized the disposal component. That's the easiest. That's what most communities think of if there's a differential between the size of containers. What our analysis also does takes into consideration the volume, the space that is reserved within a truck by each container size. So the simplest way to explain this. So we have an additional increment for that. If everybody had the largest container size, you may need 40 routes because those trucks are going to fill up quickly. Have to leave the route, go dump, and return to the route. And it's a lot less efficient. If everybody had a 13 gallon, you could fit a lot more residents within one truck. You may be able to cut your routes to 20. So there is a cost associated that's not fixed. We know the truck does drive by every house the same, but you're paying more labor, more fuel, more trucks, because you would need more routes for those larger containers. So that's also a bit of the differential. And that's, well, that's what very helpful. Into consideration. Okay.
8: That that goes back to Councilmember Han's point. If we got rid of the bigger cans, we could fit more cans on each truck. We'd run fewer trucks, we'd create fewer GHGs, we'd destroy our roads less, and maybe some people would produce less trash. So I think this is really worth looking at. And I did you build that into, the? again, it didn't get built into this model. This model presumed the pattern we have now, there's right? Not current the subscription
6: now. levels, yes.
8: Okay, okay. That's a very helpful thing to know, that the differential is not just the dump fee. It's also our actual internal costs. So we will benefit from encouraging people to go to smaller cans, right? Unless there's some big fixed costs I'm not understanding that will be you know, not change much, but if you have fewer trucks, fewer routes, fewer people, we're going to save money, right? I that think. is true. Okay, I just wanted to get that straight in my own mind. Okay, um, and um, I wanted to also um, ask about the the issue that was raised by the Zero Waste Commission about looking at every other t- week trash pickup. It seems to me that I don't know how they're doing this in Portland. Are they doing that by each household electing, or are they just saying? We're only picking up your trash every two weeks. Do you know?
6: I'm not familiar with their operations.
8: Yeah, because it seems like if you had one person on the block who was like, I'm not a trash producer, right. please don't stop here. I don't see how that saves us very much money because you still have the truck, the people. You know, I don't, it, it doesn't really deal with your fixed costs very well. So while I appreciate the sentiment, I don't think it'll work unless we went to a full pattern of we only pick up trash every two weeks. Which, since trash is usually the messy stuff, other than the organics, which are also messy, that's not going to go over big. People are going to have dog poop in their can for two weeks. I, mean, I just don't think that's going to work. So I really appreciate the solid waste uh, zero waste commission thinking about it, but I don't see how we can practically do it. So I think a little more reflection on that when you come back would be great. What would it? What are some of the pros and cons of that? If there's if there are pros and cons to be looked at. Um, Also, I understood from Mr. Garland that we're not assuming full staffing, so the public doesn't get alarmed. We're not building in the cost of all the positions that are uh, budgeted in solid waste. We're building the positions you have now, plus growth over time as we hire people, right? So while you have vacancies, we're not saying that 8% vacancy rate is gone and we need the money as if everybody's there. You're not doing that.
3: That's correct. So we're we're looking at uh, our personnel costs and looking at the actuals over the past several years and projecting forward based on those actuals. Now, let me just acknowledge there's risks in that, uh, meaning if we underestimate uh, those personnel costs, that the, that means the, we'll have to bring more from fund balance. But we're doing it in part so that we can show rate that we sharpened our pencils when it comes to really making sure that we're being um, conservative about projecting expenses um, uh, because those expenses obviously drive up uh, rates.
8: Okay, thank you. Um, also, I we do uh, will be charging less than Oakland in 2024, but in subsequent years we would be charging more. I don't know where they are in their rate adjustment process. If they're have they already done their five year thing? Or they still coming up for more money?
6: The way they've structured their rate setting process, it's an annual basis, so they don't go out five years at a time. And it's based on changes in indices, fuel, labor. So it's hard to say what their rates will do over the next five-year period.
8: Is that something we're considering, doing a more dynamic modeling? Is it too yeah. hard? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: imagining um going through this process every year that it would take a a fair amount of staff time on the other hand it's what uh, a fair number of cities do
8: that's interesting is that something you're going to explore in the upcoming review they don't go back to their council right they just say here's the model and then that rolls through or do they have to go back every year
6: they do have to go back
8: okay okay Okay. Um, I really appreciate the low-income um, uh, break on the fees. I think I asked you this question before, Mr. Garland. It's really a question for finance. We have some things that uh, where uh, low-income people don't pay or pay less, and we have some things where low-income people and seniors don't pay or pay less. Is this a one where the seniors get a break, too, or just low-income?
3: I did double check this and councilmember harrison it is limited to low income customers uh the the refunds for seniors that's related to those b u s d parcel taxes um not for the utility uh discounts
8: okay great that's very helpful um then the um What's i going to say about that. Okay. Well, my my question then is the the number that you have, the hundred thousand dollars, even that seems a bit high because I spent a lot of time with Henry trying to figure out where how much we were giving people in these low income fee breaks, and it was only like I don't know, like a hundred people that signed up. They're just not that many. So your number may even be a bit on the high side.
3: It's a conservative number, which is good. I I think. I think that's accurate. Our estimate is actually around 100 customers. uh, And we're assuming the, uh, I think it's a 64-gallon rate, which could be a little high, uh, depending on what those customers actually subscribe to. Um, But that is what the basis is for the $100,000 estimate. Okay.
8: Okay. Um, And then my last, um, just to answer your direct question, I I like the third option of softening the blow, but trying to rectify the, the rate. The rate schedule. Um, in terms of programs, um, I am curious about as as Councillor Wengraff raised: whether other cities charge for street sweeping through the solid waste. Do I understand that we do we do do that? Right. Do we we do. know how other cities pay for it.
3: I'll I'll take a crack on my experience, which is more limited uh, than Rick and, and maybe Leticia's is. Um, there's some cities in my experience that do include, um, uh, street sweeping within, uh, the integrated waste, but it's, it's more a minority of cities, uh, that it's more common to have it funded through other sources.
8: Okay. And then this is a really awkward question, but where do the revenues go from tickets for, um, missing to move your car? Do you get that money back to you or does it go in the general fund?
3: I believe it goes to the general fund.
8: Okay, so I'm interested in that as well. It seems like that's a cost to you. You've driven by this street, people are in your way, you can't do your job. So I'd like to know what that revenue stream looks like, and a little bit better understanding of that. Um, and then the only last thing I want to say is something about the parks fund. And you know that I've been on this tear for years on the budget committee. Um, the parks fund right now pays $600,000 to have trash cans picked up in the parks, and the marina pays $250,000. And as I mentioned to Mr. Garland in the conversation, you know, I could buy a cup of coffee here and throw it away in Shattuck and the business interest on Shattuck would pay for that. But if I drove down to the marina and put it in their trash can, the marina would pay for that. Or if I went to Civic Center Park, the park would pay for that. And while all departments pay for their own trash pickup, this isn't the internal trash pickup of the fire department, which makes meals. It's not their internal trash. It's people resident trash. It's people trash that we just happen to throw in a trash can that happens to be sitting inside the park. And in some parks we have trash cans, one trash can for public works and one for parks. And so the parks one gets charged to parks and the public works one gets charged to this. And I've been interested in how we can move some of the the um the those costs to zero waste. Can we make a nexus with the fact that it's residents throwing people trash in people trash cans. They just happen to be sitting in a park because I'm very worried about our marina fund and our parks fund. And I think we're on a path to making this fund solve it. And I'm not as worried. So I'm hoping you'll come back with an answer on that one um, at our next meeting. I should also say it wasn't always like this before the Great Recession. This is not how it worked. Solid waste paid for the trash cans in the parks and the marina. And then we got into a desperate mode of, oh, my God, we're, we're in trouble financially. And we started charging parks for everything. And we've made many movements to try to take charges off of parks. And this is sort of my next holy grail <laughs> is if it's legally feasible to have this charge the solid waste rates. So, um, and then I just want to say also in terms of the separate bill versus um, property tax bill, it is it is an incentive to have a separate bill. And is there a date on which that changed where it comes as a separate bill? How does How is it some people have it on property tax and some people get a bill? Is there a date difference or
3: my understanding on this is that um is that as customers come in we're moving them to monthly billing and so for example i'm a customer myself i'm on monthly billing it's not on a, a property tax um uh it's just that there's a di- there's still a distribution of berkeley property owners between those different uh billing methods
8: okay okay um because Really, when I get that bill, I always look at it and go, "Oh my God, I should get a smaller can." If it was on my property tax, it would be so dwarfed by everything else, I'd probably never notice it. So I'm wondering if over time, this is incentivizing people in some way. So it's a, it's a good that we've pulled pulled that out. Um, okay, I think those are my my primary questions. Um, again, thank you very much for this. Um, I did notice, the the last thing I want to say, and this isn't a question, I noticed the Zero Waste Commission also asked whether there could be differential rates where it is more difficult to pick up trash, i.e. in the hills. I don't know if that's realistic or if really that should be dealt with through like the backyard rate changing or some other way of dealing with difficulty um, I didn't. I don't necessarily answer this now, but they had two big recommendations. There was that and then there was the don't increase the rates on small cans. So um, just hopefully next time you'll maybe have some uh, response on that. And whether you've seen any cities with differential rates, I think it could get really complicated because there are streets in the hills that are flat and there are streets in the flats that are hilly. So I don't know how we would ever figure this out. So thank you.
10: Okay. Um, the next council member in queue is
4: uh, council member Robinson. It's good to see everyone. We've got the whole team here. Thank you so much. This has been super valuable. I've learned a lot from this conversation from my colleagues, comments. First thing I really want to thank you, Mr. Garland, uh, for helping visualize the staffing impacts in the department. It's really important for us to understand uh, and to see and to hear, especially in preparation for our employer of choice initiative discussion later this evening. Uh, first, I have a, history question, maybe a democracy question. It's really not terribly important for this discussion, but do you know if there's ever been a successful majority protest of a Prop 218 rate increase? It seems like an incredibly high bar.
3: Councilmember Robinson, I have looked at the history here in Berkeley, and uh, what um, I've looked, I think, at the past two rate increases for um, uh, waste and recycling rates and I've looked at the amount of majority protests that were submitted, and they were in the range of about three to 5,000 uh, protests. Huh. And that is, um, uh, compared to other cities' experiences, that's actually a little uh, higher than um, uh, than expected, but still short of the, I think it's more than 12,000 written protests that would be required to be submitted to be a successful majority protest. Does that answer your question?
4: Yeah, very much so. That's really interesting. It's Nowhere close to the threshold, but really interesting to know that it's higher than a lot of other jurisdictions. Curious. Um, I really want to appreciate you laying out the full roster of programs and projects funded by these revenues. I think it's clear there's no question we need to meet those numbers and raise rates. The question is how? I had very much the same questions as Councilmember Wengraf, on uh, the same sort of reaction to the rate increase schedule that's proposed. Um Ian was wondering, well, hey, you know, the extent to which those rates really will influence what size bins people choose to have and a very strong feeling that the rate increases proposed feel backwards from the way we want to incentivize people. Uh, Councilmember Member asked you about that and how we're thinking about that. And you gave a response that I wanna make sure I'm wrapping my head around and how Prop 218 binds the rates that we can set. Is it, so it's because we have to segment it by size and the rate increases, linked to the cost of delivering the service and the bigger bins are more cost effective?
3: That's right. So it's a wholly unsatisfying answer. It is um, (laughs) that uh, Proposition 218 really pushes us as a city to make sure that our rates are set to recover the cost of service. And it doesn't provide, proposition 218 doesn't provide outs for things like incentives to recycle more. And when it comes to these small gallon container cans where we'd like the incentives to push folks in that direction, um, uh, because it shows that there may be more recycling and composting going on, it's in conflict, uh, 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 that policy goal that we have is in conflict with those prop 218 constraints.
4: It is, interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Oh, okay. For which reason? I, Yeah, I see the bigger picture of the report uh, and appreciate the laundry list of potential approaches and programs listed out here. You know, I think I agree very much with um, what Councilmember Hahn and Councilmember Harrison laid out in a lot of different ways, all the different positive externalities that come from encouraging people to use smaller bins beyond just the fact that they're setting a lower Waste threshold for themselves every week, so I, I hope to the extent possible we can prioritize programs to try to meet that end. Uh, and of course, to answer, I think the most direct question here um, I really appreciate the approach to phasing laid out. I would support that uh, option 3 uh, and we'll enjoy continuing to sift through the various other ideas on the report. Thank you, Mr. Garland.
10: Thank you very much. Okay. Um, our next
1: speaker is Vice Mayor Bartlett. Uh, thank you. And uh, uh, Director Garland, this is what I was going to ask you where I forgot. Uh, are we still exploring uh, any of the sort of monetization possibilities of our waste? Uh, uh, specifically, I'm referring to that pilot we did for cogeneration of, of methane at Altamont. Um, curious if that's, it's, uh,
3: that's on the table at all anymore. I don't know the answer to that. Uh Leticia, Rick, or Julia, do you know the answer to that? I'm not aware. No. I
9: don't have any current information on 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 that study.
1: Okay. That's because you know if if um you know if if there if there are ways for us to explore uh sort of a systems level approach to funding our activities as opposed to um you know Nickel and diming everybody all the time. Uh, it'd be neat to explore it, right? Whether that's uh co-generation revenues, uh, or and now we're moving into organics, and that is unfunded. But uh, I'm imagining there there's a plan for these organics and it's gonna involve our robust agriculture sector, I'm sure. Uh, maybe we should be participating as a city in that. Just throw it out there. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Kisawani.
11: Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. And thank you, Director Garland and all of the other folks who are here with this presentation. You know, I I wanna say that, you know, of course we need to have our zero waste fund be in balance. And so I wanna focus on slide 16, where um, you were showing us the ways to reduce the rate increases and our impacts. So on the phased in approach, I believe you were saying that um, on one of these slides, if I have it right, the general fund would have to absorb some of that. Okay, it's saying use fund balance to allow phase in approach on slide 10. So how much of the fund balance do we have to use if we are going to pursue the phased in
6: approach? That's a great question. I haven't quantified there if I can look at that real quick. And that was the chart that I showed with the adjusted dotted line of your fund balance. So it is the fund balance within the zero waste fund, not the general fund. Those are the revenues we would use. Let's see if I can quantify as quickly.
11: Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's slide seven where you've got this precipitous mm-hmm. decline. Uh, it's looking pretty bad with that yeah. dotted line of the year so, fund balance with no increase.
6: That's right. So slide 13 includes. A new dotted line, which shows if you were to phase in where your fund balance would sit at the end of the five-year period. So it's a delta between that new dotted line and the solid blue line. So it starts out just utilizing a bit of your funds each year. But then you can see by the end of the fifth year, it's about, about $8 million.
11: So that's the total $8 million from fiscal year 23 to fiscal year 28 to do a phased-in approach. That's the cost of it?
6: That's correct. Okay.
11: And I'm sorry, go ahead.
6: I was just going to mention because instead of setting their rates at the cost of service, we'd be utilizing some of the reserves to reduce that to the $6 a year increase, but that would... Um, occur each and every year until the fifth year. So it's a cumulative $8 million.
11: Okay. So it's, um, I'm just thinking here. So it's, is it roughly 1.6 million a year? It looks like it's more in the outer years because that gap is bigger between the solid blue line and the dotted blue line.
6: That's right, because it's cumulative. So Uh it builds over time.
11: So fund balance target is in red. So I think the concern, and, and you know, I, I am speaking off the cuff, I haven't seen your presentation in advance. You know, the concern I have is that that phased in approach, it never actually gets us to the, <laughs> the red line, the fund balance target. That's where we need to be to have a, a fund that's balanced, correct?
6: Not balanced, and maybe I'll go into a little more detail. These targets, and this is commonly used in water and sewer rate setting, um, where you have a little more uh, policies that are in place. What we've shown here is at least 30 days, that's a dotted red line. Uh huh. In order to pay your day to day bills, because as we mentioned, some folks are charged on the tax roll, you only get revenues in April and December. So it's that day-to-day cash flow that you need to pay those daily bills, the labor, the construction, or the capital costs. So we don't want to see you dip below that at all costs.
11: Okay, so it's really the dotted red line that is uh, the line you never want to be below.
6: If you can help it, it's okay to dip. But those were kind of the constraints that we put on the analysis and a real good reserve balance, knowing you have some upcoming transfer station construction costs probably coming up that's the 60 day so we that's why we set the initial cost of service to say let's be above that 60 day but with the phase in we're willing to dip but you can see it's on an upward slope and that last year will continue to increase over time
11: okay so the six so so the I see so the solid red line is that you have some reserve you have 60 days of operating expenses available to you correct. Okay, and then um, the year-end fund balance. So if we were to not do the phased-in approach and just ask customers to pay the cost, to pay at cost, is that the solid blue line with the dots?
6: That is correct.
11: Okay, okay. So, I mean, so it seems like there's another scenario right where you could pay ask the customers to pay cost but um but not be above the 60 days of operating expenses right be yeah. somewhere i mean can you pay some version of at cost i mean maybe that maybe that's the same as the phased in approach i guess the the paying at cost what it does is you're not having to spend the eight million
6: so, so where
11: are we yeah. getting this $8 million from? We're taking it from the general fund?
6: It's from the fund balance. You see the starting point here of $25 million, the funds within zero waste. Oh, okay. So we're taking revenue, from there. Yeah, which have been paid by ratepayers. So it's okay to use those funds to reduce the necessary increase.
11: Okay. Okay. Well, and tell me if you already have, okay, so you have on slide 15, the rate schedules, but wh- I, I, I'm sorry, this was just a lot of information for me. I'm yeah. trying to digest it. Like, what are we looking at there? What are those rates, like f- fiscal year 25, 26, mm-hmm. 27, 28,
6: Yeah, so slide 15 just gives you a snapshot of the six most common commercial subscriptions. Mm -hmm. So these are the rates that would be in place for commercial collection over the next five-year period if there's not a successful protest for commercial. commercial, They're just about at their cost of service, so they only need a 0.4% increase in this year in which we're realigning the rates with the cost of service.
11: Okay, so do you have any table that shows what will the rates be for people for these various scenarios that, that we just went over on slide 13? Yes,
6: yeah, slide 10. Slide is 10. the option three of the phased in. Okay, so
11: it's just the phased in. But you're not showing the other options
6: we just showed that for fiscal year 2024, we can bring back the full five years if that's of interest.
11: Yeah, I I mean, I would like to see the full information of what would the and I'm not saying that we should do it, but I I think we need to see what is the rate going to be for these different can sizes container sizes for each of the fiscal years for each of those lines that you've shown so because i'm really interested in like what's the cost differential because we have to assess whether those cost increases are reasonable um, or do we want to use eight million of reserve in the fund And so I think we need to see what those rates are. And then we can also compare to what you're showing with the other cities. How would we compare? Because you just showed how we compared currently, right? But you didn't tell us how would we compare with these various rate increase options. So I think that would be helpful for decision making. Is that making sense what I'm asking?
6: Yes, absolutely. And just for the comparison with the other jurisdictions, we can show it. With the full cost of service or the phase in compared to the other jurisdictions for fiscal year 2024, it gets more difficult to look five years out because we don't know what other communities will do. We don't
11: know what they're going to (laughs) do. I do get that. So I'm not sure how we would do that. Can you look historically over the last five years, how much did those communities increase their rates? Because they have the same issues as we do in terms of, of rising costs, right?
6: Yeah, exactly. So, past increases, if we look back at your situation, you haven't had an increase in three years. So, it's not always indicative of the future of those other communities.
11: Sure. Yeah.
6: And it is difficult. Um, and okay. So, at least for fiscal year 24, 20, 2024, we can show the full cost of service, the phase in, and then the current Berkeley rate compared yeah, to. Yeah.
11: Because you know what I'd like to see? Are we. Still below Piedmont or not, right? I'm just, that's, we know they're they're the outlier with the highest rates. So I, I, you know, I I think that would at least give us something. I understand it is hard to predict what the future rates will be for other cities, but I I think it's also helpful to know what those cost increases will be. So for the phased in, how did you come up with? We want we only want to increase the rate by six dollars for customers.
6: That's a great question. So we utilize that fund balance graph to help, you know, with these different scenarios. We tried out could we get away with just four dollar increases? What did that do to that fund balance? We found it not only dipped below that 30 days, but it actually went negative. So we said, okay, we need a bit more. So that's how we honed in on the six dollars. Oh, okay, number. so you
11: were trying to get to that sweet spot line yeah. and so you needed six dollars to do so okay that makes sense okay let me just quickly see if there's anything further on this slide i i do think that if we're looking at rate increases whatever we end up having to do the um the very low income refund program you know i i'm fully in support of um if we have to increase rates then we do want to make sure our lowest income residents are um, shielded from that to the extent possible. So I think that that's reasonable. So so you're certain that we only need a hundred thousand to do that to enroll zero waste customers in city's very low income refund program? i
3: um I hesitate to say certain, but yeah, that's our projection. We feel pretty confident about it,
11: okay, okay. And I think councilmember Harrison had said there are very few people in this. How do we find these people? Do we send them an Do we send everybody a note to to ask what their income is uh or to or to let the let the entire uh city know that if they're eligible they can enroll in this
3: Um, i don't know the answer to that but that's something we could follow up with on april 11th which is the more details about how the very low uh income refund program works and whether there's proactive communication around it
11: okay yeah i think we would i think that would be helpful to know And then on this paving impact costs, I just don't follow this, eliminate or reduce the paving impact costs of 7 million attributable. So, so actually director Garland, is this something that we had talked about before as a means of raising revenue for street paving by building into the rate structure here, the cost of the trucks on the streets. Is that what you're talking about here?
3: Yeah, what what this this does is quantify the impacts of the collection vehicles on our streets and the resulting deterioration. um, Turn that into the amount of money that would help offset those impacts. And it's that between 1 million to 2 million per year that's built into the rate schedule uh, to address those paving
11: impacts. So, this is an option. And is that what you're saying? This is something we could do, or it's already in the rate? The
3: rates, the five year rate schedules include this as a cost. And so, this would be something that's new. Uh, And Uh the question for council would be keep it in there or pull it out?
11: Oh, I see. I see. So, this is on, this is separate from the $6. Mm -hmm. this is something else that's going to cause the rates to increase over the next five years
6: no it is part of the six dollars the analysis includes those seven million dollar costs
11: got it got it well how do we do you know how much of the six dollars is tied to this
6: we could quantify that and bring that back i mean because we are utilizing some of the fund reserves to buy down the rate increase but we can quantify what roughly one to one and a half million dollars a year on your rates does.
11: Yeah, I think, you know, we we ought to know that because if you're asking us because you're putting an option here to not do that. So then I think we need to know well, how much would that save. But um, But if we keep it in, are you saying that you're going to add one to two million to the street paving budget every year? Yes, okay, okay. Well, you know, I love that. So, so, okay, that's good. All righty, so I'm sorry to take so long. Okay, okay, two more points. So eliminate, find other funds or reduce the 6.7 million for the pre-construction cost for the transfer station replacement. Okay, so these final two points, you were simply saying just find other funding and, and and then try to just balance the zero waste fund with other, other general funds.
3: Exactly, notice the staff okay. report was silent on where to find that other funding, because um, that's right. a, a tough question.
11: Okay, so I mean, this is gonna have to be some kind of budget discussion, but this is a longer five year um, time horizon that you're talking about with the rates. And so if you could come back with with some of this laid out, I hope it doesn't create too complicated of a table uh, maybe you don't have to show all the options, but um, you know I, I think we need to see more than just the phased in, uh, because there could be a, a situation where we want to—I'm not saying we will—but but to consider raising the rate slightly more than the six dollars, drawing down less than the eight million, but still some amount, and doing it that way.
10: Is that a comment or? Okay,
11: no, no. I was just giving some further guidance on on what you were going to come back with on April eleventh. I, I think so. Okay, I think that's all I have for now. Thank you very much. Thank
6: you.
10: Okay, we'll go next to Councilor Humbert. Back to Councilor Harrison. I don't believe we've taken public comment yet, so we need to do that. Uh, Councilor Humbert. Yeah. Um, um,
12: oops.
13: oops.
14: Let me
10: use
12: the other. Thing.
14: Um my question relates to prop 218 <laughs> let me let me kill this um my prop my question relates to prop 218 do our current rates violate prop 218 uh, because the the larger cans seem currently to subsidize the smaller cans and then i guess my follow up question and this would probably be t- directed to to Mr Garland my follow up question is um, why can't we simply, if the current rates don't don't violate Prop Two Eighteen, why can't we simply increase the rates for the larger cans proportionally? Uh, I hope that makes sense.
3: Councilmember Humber, could you say more about that? The last part. Um...
14: Yeah. What the proposal is to keep the the larger can rates um, uh, static and to increase the the rates for the smaller. Uh, cans, as I understand it, why can't we just increase the rates for each size of can proportionally? Would that violate 218, which seems uh, to be the current status of of the uh, the fee schedule?
3: Yeah. Uh, so the, the purpose of these periodic check-in on rates is to figure out, uh, uh, let me say, the purpose from a Prop 218 perspective is to figure out how to get to that cost of service um uh and so this reflects uh, a big step toward getting there the challenge with um uh with applying the increases to the for example the 96 gallon containers is if we already know we're at the cost of service and our projections suggest uh we'll stay there uh, then it, pr- it creates a prop 218 problem to charge more than uh, uh, than the rate that's covering that cost of service.
14: Okay. So we're really sort of technically out of compliance and we're trying to bring ourselves back in. Is that right? I,
3: I, I wouldn't say that, but I would say that we we want to make sure that that in looking at the information we have now and projecting forward for these five years, we absolutely want to make sure that we're Prop eighteen compliant and that we're um, uh, matching rates as best we can with those costs of service.
14: Okay, thanks. And then, and then, just one follow-up question: Why has the cost of small cans gone up so much, but not the large?
3: Uh, the so this um, actually, I'm going to pause for a second. Rick, can you mm-hmm. can you answer that? Because I think you touched on this earlier.
6: Yeah. So within the state of California, previous uh, conventional wisdom was to incentivize those downsizing of containers. And until recently, uh, it wasn't looked at as being out of compliance with Prop 218. So how we look at those costs, the vehicle, the labor coming by the house need to be spread equally among each of the service levels with the methodology that I've gone into a little bit of detail. So just in analyzing in this recent year, we've noticed they're out of alignment so it was initially put in place to help incentivize but that's no longer uh, allowable
14: and, and how is that i mean i guess i'm 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 not understanding why it it was allowable but it, it no longer is is it just a different view of the the folks in sacramento with respect to 218 compliance
6: there's been more challenges to rates in recent in the recent years
14: okay so, is there a court case
6: on this, or a? I can't speak to the legal cases. Legal counsel on board?
10: Yeah, perhaps the city attorney can get back to Councilor Humbert
14: offline about okay. that. Okay, thanks. It just seems it seems odd. We, you know, used to be able to do it, and now we can't.
6: And you're not the only community facing this. I, I will let you know throughout the Bay Area, they're struggling with this.
14: Okay, thank you. Okay, uh,
10: Council Member Harrison, then we'll get a public comment on this item.
8: Yeah, I just want to point out that the Fights Committee, in passing the new paving policy, included this policy of adding fees to garbage trucks because, indeed, it's an impact on our roads. And I'm going to say again that that's another place where encouraging people to use smaller cans, which means fewer trucks which means fewer people driving these heavy trucks on our roads will mean less degradation of our roads. So there's a lot of good reasons to incentivize these small cans, um, not just because of the trash pickup itself, but because of the impact that the trucks have on our roads. So we've already included that in the paving policy that we voted on at council, I believe. And the question now is, do we go ahead with this number and include it or not? And I'm firmly in favor of including it. I think we need to show the real cost of trash collection on our roads. Thank you.
10: Thank you very much. Um, If I can be made a co-host once again, so I can um, um, activate people's lines, thank you. Um, So we'll now um, go to public comment on item one, the five-year zero waste rate schedule there's any member of the public who wishes to speak on the side, and please raise your hand at this time. Um, and I see we have three raised hands presently. Our first speaker is Andrew Talbot. And you have two minutes. Please unmute yourself.
15: Hi. Yeah. So I just wanted to comment um, on the item. I'm really excited to hear that we'd be increase, including uh, more of the total cost of collection, including the degradation to our streets. I think that's very important. I agree with that. And I just wanted to get an understanding. You know, if, if there's a shorter trip to the uh, to the actual transfer station, like in the flats, wouldn't that mean that we'd have reduced rates uh, in the flats as well? Uh, maybe that's an idea there. But no, I really appreciate that um, uh, that we're going to be you know capturing more of the total cost. And I agree, it makes little sense that um, we can't, based on this proposition, um, incentivize smaller trash cans. I think overall, it's going to reduce our costs. Um, uh, as a city to have people um, using smaller waste receptacles. So I don't see why they can't be included as as part of the overall
10: cost sharing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll go to our next speaker on Zoom. Rachel Doughty, followed by Kelly Hammergren. And Rachel, you should now be able to speak. Please unmute yourself.
12: Thank you. I'm a member of the Zero Waste Commission, District 2. Um, Although I'm speaking in my personal capacity, uh, I have a couple of suggestions I'd like to um, have the, the council committee consider the first is what the last speaker mentioned and was alluded to by a few council members, which is considering zoning the city for residential if you look at who has lower cost it's in um, our commercial costs are lower than our residential cost and that seems to be tracking on density, which makes sense. We've asked certain districts in the city to absorb a lot of growth. One of the benefits of more dense uh, development is supposed to be uh, more efficiency in services. And so it's fair that those districts should reap the benefit of having greater population. And one of those should be that it's more efficient and uh, less expensive to collect garbage there. So I would ask you to, to consider that because otherwise it's a subsidy um, provided by people who live in less dense areas, or provided by people who live in more dense areas of those who live in less dense areas. Um, I'd, I'd ask you to consider the bi weekly pickup um, with a option for um, a, a more frequent pickup because my understanding is that because that second uh, pickup would be optional, it, you wouldn't have the same 218 limit on the second pickup. So that might be a way to incentivize less um, collection, even though you would have trucks maybe running a little and you might have trucks running a little less often. And then the final thing I'd like to suggest is considering a surcharge on uh, commercial properties and other properties that are out of compliance with the single use ordinance and the bag ordinance. Um, That also would not be a 218 issue, but those penalties could be used to offset, could go into the zero waste budget. Thank you.
10: Okay. We'll go next to Kelly Hammergren, and then I'll ask, are there any speakers in the boardroom who wish to speak on this item? Kelly Hammergren, you should now be able to speak.
16: Okay. Thank you. Are you getting an echo?
10: Yes, a little bit, but we can hear you.
16: Okay. All right. Um, So this turned out to be way more complicated than I thought by reading the documents. Uh, So I just wanted to say that And then, you know, how Sophie talked about getting rid of her big can and going to a little can. Um, I just wonder if you need to sort of do some kind of calculation of what the impact would be if a lot more people did the same thing that have those that have those big cans, because that may change your calculation of you know, what happens over a five-year period. I mean, you could have a lot of shifting to smaller cans from the big ones. Um, Then I, I just wanted to comment on, you know, on our zero waste and our recyclables. I think we have a lot of wish cycling And I think it would help us reduce the amount of waste we create in the city if we really have a greater awareness of what can be recycled and what is just uh, wishful um, thinking and then. um, Liam Garland talked about the uh, chipper service and one of the things that I've been thinking about is what is what are we doing actually to turn trees that are taken down into lumber rather than ships. Um, Margo Schuler wrote in next door. Um, I think it's almost a year ago now about how she had to take a tree down in her yard. And she and they turned it into lumber and it actually cost her less than taking it down and having it shipped. And so um, I'm wondering if the public works has looked at that at all, Uh, you know, lumber from our city trees, maybe that would help our forests. Thank you.
10: Okay, thank you. Um, Are there any other speakers on zoom who wish to testify? Um, Before I guess before we go to the next speaker on zoom. And I'll, I'll ask, are there any additional speakers on Zoom? Please raise your hand at this time to be added to the speaker's queue. Are there any members of the public in the boardroom at 1231 Addison who wish to speak on this item? So please come forward to the microphone. My
17: name is, my name is John Aranucci, and I, I'm coming to the meeting, and this is the, uh, the council meeting. I have a large trash can that's green. I don't use it I, all the time, i but when I do do it, I, I have a lot of um, material, so I'm worried that the large trash cans will not be available in the future, and there might, and I don't do very much um, garbage takeout. I use the garbage um, bins maybe t- twice a month, if that, and so there might be something where the fees wouldn't be larger if I'm not using it very much or just or figure something that like that some of my neighbors would like to have a large trash can like i do and they don't because things are getting smaller but i think we should encourage um, more gardening and more recycling that way uh, because i'm i'm working on my place which is good for the earth and the habitat natural habitat thank you
10: thank you i believe there's an additional speaker um, in the boardroom
18: yes good afternoon mayor and, and council members my name is stephen sherman I serve as Councilmember Kesarwani's appointment to the Zero Waste Commission. The zero Waste Commission subcommittee on rates has identified three primary concerns within the proposed rate structure. It erodes the city's progress towards sustainability and zero waste. It includes huge rate shocks, and it requires that customers pay for services they don't necessarily need or want at much higher fees at that. The proposal, which is a quarter billion dollar proposal five years times 50 million quarter billion um, roughly the proposal would raise rates on over 13,000 residential customers who have 32 gallon trash carts by approximately $360 per year within the proposed rate period that's a huge increase the proposal also would more than double the cost of service for those residents who want the who waste the least those who use the 13 gallon or 20 gallon trash containers ouch meanwhile the proposal tax on approximately seven million dollars in road paving costs into the zero waste rate structure wait what there are other ways to reduce road maintenance costs we should be establishing every other week um, as the new standard collection frequency for residential trash and collect pretressibles in the green bin every week that's far more in keeping with zero waste and sustainability goals than using zero waste rates to fund raven rate uh, to fund road paving law abiding residents who do dutifully and properly do not place their organics in the trash parts don't necessarily need or want weekly collection of dry trash. And who wants to pay for something they don't need or want the cost savings of, of every other week trash collection. Should be presented now as an option as part of this rate setting process. Our subcommittee hasn't had an opportunity because this process has been moving so quickly, um, has not yet had an opportunity to brief the full Zero Waste Commission of our questions, our preliminary analysis, and our concerns. The Commission follows a deliberative process, it takes time. To provide advice to council through official channels, please consider scheduling a second study session once we've all had an opportunity to look at this proposal more clearly. Again, this proposal amounts to about a quarter billion dollars. Our sense is that a lot more. There's a lot more work to do together before an appropriate proposal is ready for you and your constituents consideration. Thank you.
10: Okay. Thank you. Um, are there any other members of the public in the boardroom at 1231 Addison who wish to speak on this item? If so, please come
19: forward. Hi, um, my, name, my name is Sandra Curtis. I'm also a member of the Zero Waste Commission and part of the subcommittee. And um, I'm most appreciative of the time the council is taking to consider this proposal. A number of the issues that I was hoping to raise have been raised by um, council um, Member Wengraf and Hahn. Um, so I, I'm appreciative of that. And that's about how we are actually disincentivizing the goals for zero waste that are part of what the city is really trying to do with our um, with our plan. The piece that, so I won't repeat those, but I would like to um, f- follow up with one of the suggestions that had been one of the ways to um, uh, other questions that have been raised by uh, Liam uh, had suggested. Um, and that was that there might be some kind of legislative solution. And I just wanna say that, that is not an, uh, that's not an option. I did follow up with Nancy Skinner's office and, t- and with, communicated with the person who's le- the legislative person to find out whether there was any appetite at all for this. And the answer clearly was no. So that throws it right back to council. And how are we going to remain um, as leaders in the climate action and figure out ways that are creative um, to move forward on our zero waste goals and incentivize reducing less trash? Thank you.
10: Thank you. Are there any other speakers in the boardroom who wish to speak on this item? if so please come forward
2: no mayor that's all
10: thank you okay we'll go back to the speakers on zoom and I'll do one last call for public comment um okay we'll go next to Martin Bork followed by Olga and those are the two last remaining hands I see on zoom
20: honorable mayor city council um thanks for taking the time to uh, discuss this important uh rate review um I want to Just say, as the director of the ecology center, and with many years of involvement at the 2nd street facility, I just want to reiterate to folks how important it is that you have your own. Facility and your own services operating under directly under city control. And this process today is your opportunity as council members to really engage with the financial side of that operation. And um, because it's owned and operated by the city, you have much more transparency and much more control than you would if you hired a private um, waste management firm to to do this for you out of house and so I think it's really great this is an important um, public transparency moment and one that is important for um, you know you to take time on Um, I would like to speak a little bit about what's in here and what's um proposed to be funded that's really critical there are a whole bunch of new state laws and requirements that are really important and really groundbreaking. And they cost a lot of money to pay for the enforcement of. Um, We also have um, some really important local legislation, including uh, the foodware ordinance and the new bag ordinance. Um, These are really critical waste reduction strategies that um, need need support. Um, Of course, there's the hard services. And I just wanna point out, you don't see surveys come back With 85% of the surveyed being satisfied with their refuse collection, so I just want to really um, recognize the hard work of all the people who contribute to the daily service to residents and that that's really important to keep all the trucks and all the wheels on all the buses and everything. Um, And also, we have a strategic plan and a rebuild uh, that needs to happen at that site. So I just want to say there's a lot of need and uh, i haven't had a chance to look at the hard costs and and understand better how they're spread out Um, it is clear that uh, this proposed structure for residential services does reduce some of the incentives for um, having a smaller garbage can and um, that's something to take into consideration Uh, but there are also potentially other ways to uh, create incentives and um, this would also fund a lot of staff to do the implementation that can help get us to our zero waste goals thanks
10: thank you are there any other speakers on zoom who wish to speak on this item seeing no additional raised hands wishing to speak I'll bring it back to the city
13: council and Councilor Taplin. thank you um there are many low income households um that include residents with in-home caretaking needs um so I am a little concerned about households that might be um creating more waste related to those kinds of of activities um and changes to the pickup schedule or can size being burdensome I don't have an answer right now I just um I want that to be looked at through through um an equity lens there um and this is a question we can discuss more in detail offline um but have we considered moving to zone rates by density or or surcharges for businesses out of compliance with the back ban and single-use plastic ordinance?
3: that's yes, Taplin uh we have not and I've I haven't seen a lot of other cities who uh, um, uh utilize that approach there is some history in the city of Berkeley uh, uh from way back when um, I think if we were if council were to direct staff um uh to go down this road it probably takes six months or so to do the rate study that then would um, uh, figure out the zones and or the rate costs associated with that um and so that would either be an item that would cause this one to um, uh, be delayed or it's something we could come back to in a future prop 218 uh, increase okay
13: thank you um uh, yeah those are my questions and in closing I I'm very supportive of using the general fund for the very low income um refund program
10: thank you okay thank you very much so um we are at 609 p.m so um we are now into the period of time in which we uh, need to convene the regular meeting of the City Council so Mr Garland um I wanted to check in with you um and staff about um how how we should proceed um i know that the the, the purpose of this work session was to um present the information and to and for the council to provide feedback was this helpful is there more explicit direction you're seeking
3: super uh, uh this discussion was super helpful i think staff will need some time to digest the discussion some of the key points yeah. um and then um uh, figure out if and when to uh to return uh to answer um several of the questions and potentially to tee up a a proposal okay
10: that sounds good and no action is needed tonight okay um I will provide my feedback to you and the city manager um uh but in in the interest of time I I really appreciate the discussion from um my colleagues I agree with many of the comments they've made I think um, there are a lot of thoughtful ideas and um we do need to increase the rates in order to address the, um, the what will be a deficit, and to make sure we can continue to provide these services and fund the, the very very visionary transfer station project that we initiated oh, many years ago. But um, we, uh, I do think there were some good ideas that were put forward as well in terms of how are we going to. Um, Uh, you know advance our ongoing goal of achieving zero waste so um so with that unless there are any other council members that wish to speak on this item we can conclude discussion of this work session item and i'll make a motion to adjourn the special meeting second Uh, can we please call the roll and
13: adjournment
2: council member Kesarwani. yes taplin yes bartlett yes Harrison. Yes. Hahn. Yes. Wengraff. Yes. Robinson. Yes. Humbert. Yes. Mayor Ergin?
10: Yes. Okay. Thank you. We're adjourned. Colleagues, let's take a 10-minute break before we um, start the 6 o'clock meeting. So we'll be back at 6.22 p.m. Thank you. Thank you.